Hello, and welcome to the third episode of our podcast series, Sports Material. I'm Jade from the content team here at Leaders in Sport, and in this series, we explore some of the many stories at the intersection of sport, entertainment, lifestyle, and culture. This podcast is brought to you by Force, in association with our founding partners, Constellation Brands and Nielsen, and in collaboration with our sister companies, Sport Techie and Sport Business Journal. Force is a collection of social and content experiences for leaders seeking to explore the growing intersection between those four pillars and create opportunities to align and collaborate. Our pilot event experience took place with a select group of executives from sport and entertainment back in May, but it's set to become an annual fixture every year, with our big launch to take place in May 2023 in New York. If you'd like to find out more, please visit our website at www.4-se.com or follow the Leaders in Sport LinkedIn page for updates. We'll have more details coming to you soon. In this episode of the Force Material podcast, we, along with some expert contributors, will be doing a deep dive into where hip-hop meets sportswear, from the very first hip-hop ambassadorship deal through to the rise of hip-hop-inspired streetwear aesthetics that fill social media feeds in 2022. We'll be investigating the role of style in hip-hop culture and how the legacy of the Run DMC and Adidas deal has continued through to today. So let's get started. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy. New York, New York, the big New York, New York, the big New York, New York, gardens where party face being sick emotionally, admiring vast flowers. Hip hop began around 50 years ago, having been born through black community members attending block parties. Inspired by funk and soul records, but with extended dance breaks, it began as a self-contained phenomenon enjoyed in the communities of NYC but has since grown into one of the world's most prominent genres, enjoyed by listeners across the globe. Rappers have become recognised as artists, some have become recognised as icons, and many today are being recognised as influencers. I'm Jade Amies. You might recognise my voice from our very first Force Material episode, where we asked the question of when and whether chess became cool. In some ways, a question posed to hip-hop could be quite the opposite. And the album of the year is The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill. Lauryn Hill! As far back as 1998, The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill became the first album by a hip-hop artist to win album of the year at the Grammys. Since then, Kendrick Lamar's Damn has become the first non-jazz or classical work to earn a Pulitzer Prize for music. And then this year, the Super Bowl halftime show was headlined entirely by hip-hop artists. I mean, even from the 80s, you're still talking about a long time. Hip-hop's not new by any stretch of the imagination. You know, you don't uh, call a 40, 50-year-old person young. Hip-hop isn't a cool new thing anymore, and it certainly isn't a fad. Hip-hop is a staple genre, and it's one for everyone. In fact, according to research undertaken by Nielsen, hip-hop surpassed rock to become the most popular genre in the US in 2017. Once Adidas saw the power that our, our, and I don't speak my hip-hop, our hip-hop had, they said, we gotta give these guys a deal. Sometime in the 1980s, Adidas foresaw that there would be big money in hip-hop and signed a deal with Run DMC. 
Such deals between hip-hop artists and sportswear brands are commonplace now, but at the time this was groundbreaking. To look into what made it so significant, how it came about, and how and why this legacy continues to this day, I enlisted three expert contributors. Our first is Dr. Todd Boyd, media commentator, author, and professor of cinema and media studies at the USC School of Cinematic Arts. Todd is an expert in hip-hop culture and offered his insight into the history and rise of the genre. Uh, I am Dr. Todd Boyd, sometimes known as Notorious PhD. I, you know, I can talk about this stuff all day. Uh, one of my favorite topics. Uh, <laughs> to help us explore the power of ambassadorships, we also spoke to Broderick Hicks, Senior VP and Head of Europe, the Middle East and Africa at sports marketing and talent management company Wasserman. Hi, I'm Broderick. I uh, found myself working in sports marketing, mostly at Wasserman. I've been here for about 16 years. Uh, and now I have since moved from the U.S. to the UK and I lead up our EMEA team um, across uh, Wasserman's marketing group. And last, but certainly not least, to help us understand the streetwear phenomenon and how executives at clothing brands think, we approach Minal Malik, fashion entrepreneur and fashion marketing lecturer at the London College of Fashion. So my name is Minal K. Malik. I am a lecturer at uh, London College of Fashion and I primarily teach uh, the master's program, which is strategic fashion marketing, and then also on the undergrad, which is fashion marketing, but it sort of like splits into a lot of different things. Like my area is kind of digital marketing um, alongside influencer marketing, and then also branding. So that's kind of my background from industry. Together with these experts, we'll be doing a deep dive into the world of hip hop and sportswear ambassadorships. What's in it for the brand? What's in it for the artist? How does sportswear and hip-hop tie into the rise of the streetwear aesthetic? As hip-hop catapulted to the mainstream, what role did these deals play, if any? And could there be pitfalls of these partnerships for either party? Ladies and gentlemen, tonight we're going on the block. This is Harlem, a place almost everybody has heard of, but where most outsiders have never been. Hip-hop was born in the Big Apple in the 1970s, and as the genre grew, it became omnipresent in the areas of the city with a high African-American population, such as Harlem and the Bronx. As we entered the 1980s, the genre began to spread to LA, the rest of America, and eventually the world. Wasserman's Broderick Hicks explained the appeal of the genre for fans growing up at the time. I would say growing up in the 80s and 90s, it is um, a bit iconic for me. Personally, um, I think it was a cultural paradigm, but honestly, for me, and I think for a lot of people, it's inspiring. Uh, and frankly, for me, it was uh, a time and place to be seen and heard, you know, and I identified with it was like this freedom of expression and, and by way of the music, the lyrics, the imagery. And uh, honestly, I probably carried some of that with me, maybe more than I even realized, uh, into my, my daily work and daily life. You know, people will say, this person's got drip, this person has sauce, this person has this, that, you know. Of course, hip-hop is a music genre, but music isn't just a listening experience. It's audio-visual. It isn't just how a song sounds that can appeal to an audience. 
It can be the meaning, it can be the music video, it can be the performance, it can be the overall aesthetic. Dr. Todd Boyd explains more. Hip hop is a culture. Uh, it's always been a culture. And so I've always thought of hip hop as maybe rooted in the music, uh, but expanding outward beyond that. So it touches so many things. Um, in terms of gear, what we used to call gear, athletic apparel, uh, athleisure, this is a phrase people <laughs> use now. Um, sneakers, streetwear, there's all this terminology. I mean, it's just part of the culture. These weren't just sneakers that you were wearing because you needed to wear shoes, but they became kind of a status symbol. And having sneakers other people didn't have made you cool. And over time, sneakers became a big part of the kind of fashion of hip hop style. There's three of them, and if you grew up on hip-hop like I did, they are the Beatles. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Run DMC into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Run DMC. Maybe you know them from their initiation into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, or for their Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award in 2016. Or maybe it's from being named MTV's greatest group of all time. But before they were music legends, they were just three young men from Queens, New York, that banded together in 1983 when the genre was still new and very much a subculture. And so what people outside of hip hop would imagine about the culture that they had really limited access to is probably uh, uninformed, misinformed. Run DMC saw moderate success in their early years, but then in 1986, they made a bold career move in aligning themselves with an entirely unexpected genre, rock and roll. In 1986, Run DMC released a cover version of Aerosmith's 1975 single, Walk This Way. Already a top 10 hit on its original release, the cover bumped it up to the top 5, making it a huge success for Aerosmith, but, as Dr. Todd Boyd explains, a landmark moment in hip-hop. Um, and that song blew up. It was very popular, and a lot of people who weren't listening to DMC started listening to them because they liked Aerosmith. Um, so, you know, MTV is fairly new. MTV would not play black videos initially, said they were a rock station and they defined rock as white. And, but here's Run DMC. This, this is the only rap group that's getting any kind of representation on MTV at the time. And I think it's primarily because of Aerosmith, but then they blow up uh, beyond that. And um, uh, they become the first superstars of uh, hip hop after it has you know, emerged from the underground into the mainstream. And so with one hit song, Run DMC became trailblazers for the visibility of a growing genre. And it wasn't just their music that people took to, it was their style. You know, the black leather, uh, you know, the fedoras, they, they had a look, they clearly were conscious about uh, how they looked on stage. They had a style and that's what made them cool. Come on, put him up in the air! 
when they're raising Hell album, the album that also brought forth the famed Aerosmith collaboration, contained a single called My Adidas, the world paid attention. As Dr. Todd Boyd makes clear, it was a conscious decision for Run DMC to align themselves with the brand. And you know, I mean, people hooped in Adidas as well. And DMC, this is their signature thing. And in New York, you know, they rocked them with no shoestrings in them, as they say. It was like the shoe was kind of like a canvas that you could do your thing on, like however you wanted to rep them. And for them to do that song by Adidas, they kind of consciously linked uh, their identity as a group with that brand. Uh, maybe nobody knew where it was going, but hip hop was for a lot of us, broadly speaking, it was like our attempt at trying to access the American dream that we had been denied accessing, but we were going to do it through the culture. And uh, so, you know, being able to purchase certain items of clothing, being able to represent certain brands, this kind of became part of people's individual signature, their like identity. In their song, My Adidas, Run DMC proudly declared their love of the shoe. And when Adidas executive Angelo Anastasio attended their show at Madison Square Garden and saw 40,000 sneakers being held in the air at the group's urging, despite the brand's association with Germanic conservatism, he saw an opportunity. Adidas can never even buy this much promotion we give them. On a charge for six weeks. So give us a million dollars. <laughs> and so came into fruition Run DMC's second unexpected collaboration in a short space of time. And this one was another landmark. A one million dollar contract with Adidas in what was first an advertising deal. But then after sales began to skyrocket, the brand also released a Run DMC clothing line. The line, with its somewhat inflated price tags, although not compared to today, was such a success that the brand eventually went on to release four variations of the limited edition Run DMC shoe. Run DMC made Adidas cool. It made Adidas um, a streetwear brand to wear, to see, and be seen. And not sure if that was the original intent, but uh, that was the result. Run DMC and Adidas marked the first sponsorship of a music group from a sports brand. And this legacy continues on today, with an abundance of sportswear brands announcing collaborations with hip-hop artists over the decades that followed. Adidas went on to promote partnerships with Snoop Dogg and Kanye West, among others, with other prominent brands scoring deals with the likes of Jay-Z, Eminem and Drake. And I think also, you know, a lot of rappers have gone into the fashion game now. I mean, Kanye, of course, is very prominent, but Pharrell, um, you know, Jay-Z had the S. Doc Carters back in the 2000s. That was almost 20 years ago. Um, you know, other rappers have had their own uh, brands. Then you get the collabs. And then now, you know, somebody like Virgil, who's not a rapper, but who had a you know relationship creatively and culturally with Kanye and Jerry Lorenzo, Fear of God, Off-White. You know, so it's it's a combination of, you know, these new uh, brands that have this kind of hip hop connection, streetwear connection and other uh, brands that maybe have been around longer that people embrace and help to give kind of a new uh, twist 
Sportswear has long been established as an integral part of hip-hop's aesthetic, so rappers seem to be the obvious faces for the brand. But from a marketing perspective, what's the thought process behind selecting a famous face for your brand? How do you choose and what does the brand get out of it? Roderick Hicks and London College of Fashion's Manal Malik explain more. It's expanding the reach of the audience, deepening the reach of the audience, or giving some kind of cultural like relevance to an audience. It's, um, I mean, a brand basically is just the representation or the expression of a company. Like outside of that, companies are just walls and people and numbers and nothing that people can truly connect with. Like the brand is like the personality of that company. And when you can connect that personality to a brand ambassador that has an audience, has uh, an image, has a brand of their own, then by association, they're cool, you're cool. They're relevant, they're relevant. If we go back to the basics of why you would use a celebrity endorsement or a celebrity face is you want to tap into the pull that they have within their audience that a brand might necessarily not have access to or are unable to speak to authentically. So if suddenly Dior started talking to hip-hop fans, it would be very weird because they don't have that dialogue and that relationship prior to them trying to have that conversation. Whereas if they use a middleman, so somebody who's quite prominent in the hip-hop industry, it makes more sense. Travis, you are born and raised in Houston. You have been a diehard Rockets fan. You're a Grammy nominee. You are also one of the most acclaimed sneaker designers of 2019. No kidding, you dropped four of the most sought-after kicks of last year, most of them going for $1,000 a pair on the secondary market. So that's what's in it for them. But when the artist signs a deal and aligns themselves with the brand, they may be limiting opportunities to work with other brands, at least for the length of the contract. So why do they do it? Of course, there's a financial motivation to be considered, but also it's an opportunity for these creative souls to dabble in other creative pursuits. They like to express their creativity through other means, through other avenues, and these brand partnerships give them an opportunity sometimes to do that. Uh, so I guess beyond just the financial piece of it, it allows them to kind of broaden what they do and the lanes that they are able to express their creativity within. It could be, for example, that you have certain collaborations with celebrities who want to get into design, and this is a good stepping stone for them to test the waters and see how people react to them and get a feel for the more sort of actual physical product manufacturing. So that's, that's one of the things. The other thing is it's less risky to work with a brand than to launch your own brand off the bat. Um, so it could be that. And then at the end of the day, it could just be that they're being paid enough money for them to align with the brand. They're already wearing the brand, they enjoy the brand, they enjoy the relationship. Why not make it more monetary for them? This happens to be a collaboration with Adidas I'm doing. I like these, I like these, I like all of them. Maybe we could do them all. And then for a genre like hip-hop, which was and often still is misunderstood, Partnerships with long-established, respected brands did boost the genre's visibility to some degree. Wasserman's Broderick Hicks explains the part that they may have played in helping to make hip-hop the mainstream sensation it is today. It's helped. To the extent at which it helped, I think, can be debated and may be subjective. Um, but even though it started as an underground thing, there has always been this push to make it more mainstream, to make it 
available to more people. And that's not unique to hip hop. I think that's all creative expression. It wants to be seen. It wants to be heard. Um, it wants to be viewed uh, or read. And hip hop is no different. Still isn't. But that push to uh, grow and to be heard uh, in those mainstream channels, I think definitely helped because then you start to become relevant to uh, you know some of those suburban kids in the Midwest that may not have heard your music otherwise. And that's who's also feeding the industry. Um, that's also, you know, you it would not be the number one genre in the U.S. if not for, you know, that mainstream uh, support, which came from being in those channels to reach the mainstream audience. So um, I think there, it definitely helped, but I think also the music and the culture around it resonated. It just resonates. So um, that's a long way of saying, yes, I do think it helped, but unclear how much. <laughs> So we've looked into the origins of the Run DMC and Adidas deal. We've explored why deals like this are advantageous for brands and why they're desirable for celebrities. But when did the rapper become the influencer? How have rappers through donning sportswear been catalysts for the popularization of streetwear? And is there any reason either party should think twice before signing these deals? We'll answer these questions and more after the break. Rappers have been influencers for a long time before the word was even used that way. Like if he comes through in like these, yeah. you got some Air Maxes out here. Yeah. You got some Jordans. Homeboy's gonna like get it. The rise of hip hop seems to coincided with the rise of the streetwear aesthetic, which consists of trainers, hoodies, sweatpants, and so on, often branded and with higher end price tags. It's essentially the sartorial gentrification of casual wear. So we asked Manal from London College of Fashion, where is it that sportswear and streetwear overlap, or don't? So sportswear, by definition, is supposed to be worn to wear sports, whereas streetwear started off with sort of wearing clothes that were comfortable and kind of started from skateboard culture, but it covers things like uh, hip-hop culture, it covers things like also punk culture. So streetwear in itself is really big and really broad. The other thing to remember, which I think a lot of people forget, is that high luxury brands are now kind of doing streetwear and they're doing things called sportswear. But essentially, because of the way that the garments are manufactured and, and, and made, they're not actually made for excessive sports. So you wouldn't be able to do the things that you would normally be able to do with sportswear wearing a high-end luxury sportswear brand, if that makes sense. So I don't think it's so easily defined anymore. I don't skateboard, but I love skateboard brands. So it sort of is no longer designated to a specific subgroup of people. It's accessible to everyone and you don't necessarily have to play tennis in order to wear tennis wear. And I think that's the beauty of it. it 
being able to have access to all these different designs that come within the umbrella of sportswear is really great. And it's a new month and y'all know what that means. It's time to get into my top 10 upcoming most anticipated most hype sneakers. Rappers and or hip hop as a genre has clearly played a part in popularizing this aesthetic. But how and why do fans seek to emulate them? Broderick from Wasserman and Dr. Todd Boyd gave their view. It's like a very simple, like these are the people who we identify with. They're wearing this brand. I want to identify with them too. It's the same reason uh, sports fans wear the jerseys of their favorite teams. It's, it's like we're all in this together. They're representing me. They come from where I come from. Their experiences are my experiences. And we all rock the same shoes. We all rock the same clothes. You know, rappers are influential. People use that word influencer now. Uh, and so, you know, you watch music videos back in the day. You watch performances, concerts, what have you. you now you can see these individuals on social media. Um, and a lot of people look at them and are influenced and inspired by what they wear and they want to imitate it. And so they're natural uh, brand ambassadors. And particularly when you think about social media, I mean, something like Instagram is built for promoting brands. <laughs> As Todd touched on there, the rise of social media has certainly contributed to the influence of rappers and of celebrities in general in promoting fashion trends. But this is just one of multiple catalysts for the popularity of the streetwear aesthetic, as explained by Manal Malik. In terms of catalysts for streetwear um, and sportswear becoming a lot more acceptable is a number of things. So not only is music a lot more easily accessible because of streaming, um, but also because of YouTube, you find a lot of new artists, people kind of tend to try and connect with someone who they familiarize with, whether it's from a cultural point of view or from a music point of view. And then that kind of transcends into what they wear and what they do in their daily life. And as uh, you know, globalization has happened, you're, you're able to buy those things across borders. And I think that's one of the, the good things. Um, and then also, I think one of the other things is um, COVID and all those things kind of made it okay for you to be prioritizing comfort alongside style. So I think coupling those two things together was a very, very, very good thing for brands. And also for consumers, because you can kind of then uh, sort of wear your wardrobe at very different times, whether it is to actually go and work out, but then have brunch with your friends, but then maybe go to a concert afterwards and then go for dinner. You just kind of very minimally have to change one or two pieces that you're wearing. So you could just slip into heels for the dinner, but still have that oversized wrapper T-shirt. Streetwear has almost completely taken over, whether you like it or not just happened. Let's get it. Of course, streetwear's hot right now, and these deals look very appealing. But to play devil's advocate, are there any downsides to signing a deal for either side? The first potential criticism an artist might encounter is whether they're quote-unquote selling out. Let's look at other newer genres at the time when hip-hop was young, such as punk. For fans of punk music, signing such a big money mainstream deal would certainly have been perceived as a sellout move. But the culture around hip-hop is different, and Todd Boyd from USC explains why. Well, I mean, look at the difference between the people who created punk and the people who created hip-hop. Their plight 
in life and their place in America is very different than the black people who created hip hop. Um, different cultures created by different people with different objectives. You know, hip hop was about uh, trying to make it, trying to survive, uh, trying to prosper, trying to flourish. You know, hip hop's always been very aspirational. You know, you're not just doing this to do it. So uh, punk had a whole different approach, whole different ethos, um, and it didn't apply to hip hop, and hip hop didn't apply to punk. But you know, different people creating different things from different backgrounds approached it differently. And so, if there's an opportunity to promote your music and you know, uh, cash in and you know, get some cool gear, why not? Why wouldn't you do that? Now, what about downsides of the brands? In October 2022, since we undertook these interviews, Adidas terminated their contract with Kanye West following anti-Semitic comments from the rapper. The fact that the brand was willing to terminate a near-decade-long contract, estimated by Forbes to be worth around $1.5 billion, demonstrates that these partnerships do come with some level of risk where an artist's behaviour may misalign with the brand's values. With many luxury labels such as Gucci and Louis Vuitton bringing out their own lines of sportswear, are they potentially risking their high-end image? For Manal Malik, this isn't necessarily the case, and jumping on the trend seems like the smart thing to do. You can look at it on both sides. So does it feel like they're diluting the brand image? You could argue that they do to some extent, because, for example, you might have Dior considered, you know, very haute couture and very focused on the hand um, embellishments and the handwork and things like that, and just having so much um, heritage and history behind their design process, their silhouettes and their manufacturing and things. So when they do then start to sort of branch into hoodies and stuff, it does feel kind of like they're betraying their brand. But in the other sense, you could also argue that they need to kind of capture different tastes and how style has evolved over a different period of time. So it's, it's, it's sort of both things. It's smart in terms of branding and marketing, but it also means that they're not sort of relying on one revenue stream. So then when you're sort of coupling that alongside the shift of the consumer, so you might have, for example, the Far East Asian market, they are very focused on street streetwear and street style. And in order to tap into that market, they would have to have something that they're offering them. And I think the hot couture and the and the and the pret and the ready to wear just wasn't cutting it alone. And last of all, there's the question of authenticity. For brands, appearing like they're pandering or cashing in feels at best inconsistent with their image, but at worst problematic, particularly when it comes to hip-hop with its ties to black culture. I love being able to see brands pivot, but the and it comes down to this word which is very overused, which is the word authentic. It's very superficial for brands to have a one-time relationship with a potential celebrity especially if that celebrity is somebody that they haven't aligned themselves with before or have no history of working with anyone similar so if they were for example to venture into much more hip-hop related collaborations and go into streetwear then you need to understand that that's a relationship that needs to happen over a period of time so it's important that brands approach these deals with a feeling of understanding and a sense of commitment if that's the case then while signing any contract comes with its risks, it seems that with these hip-hop artists and sportswear collaborations, there doesn't seem to be any specific downsides. Overall, it looks to be a win-win situation with mutual benefits that can fit the objectives of both parties as they work to platform each other. 
but there's definitely a lot of upside in these brand partnerships. Um, and to be honest, it's, it's not a whole lot of downside. There's very few ambassador partnerships that um, really just uh, negatively impacted somebody's music or entertainment or uh, sports career. Um, sometimes they just don't work, but there's a very little downside usually a lot more upside. So it's like, why not explore some of these partnerships and avenues? I think it's it's better to get on board than to be left behind. And that's, I think, the most important things, regardless of which industry you're in, but especially true for fashion. You don't want to be the last one to do it because the market's always been saturated. It impacted cultures, you know, music culture, sneaker culture, fashion culture, and it just started with this Adidas sneaker, so more than just footwear. When I look at these partnerships between sportswear brands and hip-hop artists, I don't see a big brand carrying an emerging genre, nor do I see a trendy group of artists single-handedly rejuvenating a brand's image. What I do see is the combined power of hip-hop and power of marketing hitting that sweet spot in our much-beloved intersection between sports, entertainment, lifestyle and culture to promote innovation, creativity and to tell impactful stories that can stay with people for years to come. Like when I think about Run DMC and Adidas, like I get a, a, a it's a cool feeling, like that I, it, it creates a cool memory uh, and a cool connection. I remember the videos. And uh, I remember not just the Adidas, I remember the bucket hats and the chains and the music and the parties. And it's just a feeling that we create. And we have an opportunity to go create more of those feelings and emotions and connections in the world. Marketing is a place where we have an opportunity to express creativity and work with really cool artists and really cool creatives to really create um, not only something special, but something that gives a little bit of light and hope uh, to the world, it gives um, some optimism, puts a smile on your face, a, a, a small piece of like just uh, a clever piece of work or a clever TikTok video or an Instagram post or even just a brand branded piece of content that goes out that just like can pull someone out of the reality that around them that may not be uh, especially in today's times, like the brightest, like we have an opportunity to be a bit of optimism in that world. And uh, some of these partnerships that we talk about create like unique opportunities to do that. It's an immense thing. And so I, I hope that people continue to explore and even push further on what can be done, what is possible, what is next, and create like the next cool thing that bring some joy to the world so it's, it's it's a cool thing and i'm excited to get to be a small part and play a small role in it both hip-hop and sportswear have evolved significantly since that run dmc and adidas partnership which sparked a chain of events that resulted in huge financial successes and cultural relevance for both parties and by extension for many more artists and brands to come and while many brands have learned and continue to learn from this example of forward thinking and risk taking in branding and marketing, I'm sure there are many more evolutions of hip hop, of sportswear and of marketing that are yet to come. You've been listening to Force Material. Thank you so much to our guests this episode, Todd Boyd, Broderick Hicks and Manal Malik. And please join us next time as we and some new guests explore another story. Mm-hmm.